Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of This Is My Bourbon Podcast. I'm your host, Perry. And with me this week, as he is pretty much all the time now, uh, because he lives in my garage. I don't know if anybody knows this, but he's been confined here for many weeks on end. Uh, we've only given him a, a tepid bowl of water and some saltines, but he's doing fine. He's doing a lot of push-ups. He's looking good. It's Eric Smith. Somebody once told me the world is gonna roll me. I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. Boy, ain't that the truth. <laughs> what a horrible way to enter, <laughs> enter into this podcast. I'm so sorry. My saltines are kicking in right now. <laughs> What's up, everyone? Is it the saltines or the Crohn's infusion? <laughs> the Crohn's infusion. My Remicade. It's getting me. Got me going. Yes, hello everyone. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Eric, thank you for agreeing to be back on the podcast despite the fact that we treat you like human garbage. Well, you know. You are contractually obligated though. I it's one of those things that you know, you you like being treated like that. I'm one of those people. <laughs> Eric Eric's a sub. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you're here for the first time and you have not subbed yet. Please do so. Thank you so much for checking the show out. Uh, if you are returning, hope you're well. Thanks so much for being back. If you've not yet, please leave us a review, a rating in uh, your podcast app of choice. Read it out here on the show. We appreciate everybody who does that. We got one for you later on. And uh, is there anything? Oh, yeah, Patreon. Patreon.com slash podcast. We just recorded the longest pregame chats ever. And uh, it was amazing. I, I feel really good about it. I feel great about it. I'm very happy with all the choices I've made in my life. Oh, or maybe I'm not. <laughs> uh, yeah, patreon.com slash my bourbon podcast. Little as a dollar a month, little as $5 a month. You can get some extra content like those pregame chats. And uh, that's that's it for my little plugs up at the, up the top. Now it's time, though, for the replacement for Flying Blind for the foreseeable future. Maybe forever. I don't know. I'm not ready to commit just yet. We're just winging it. We're just winging it. Yeah. The Miss Swan. <laughs> Where is he? I I don't know, man. He told me he was flying south for the summer, and that didn't make any sense to me. So. Oh, I read that thing where he said he required a, a higher Patreon tier to get his content. Oh, yeah, that's right. So if anybody wants to jump on that, you want Swan back, you got to pay a little bit more. Yeah, he's um, he's exclusive. Yeah, very no, exclusive. I'm very sorry about that. He's so allocated these days. He's, I, I actually have to go to a store to see him, which is not untrue. I realized as that sentence was coming out of my mouth. <laughs> he is actually I to, allocated. <laughs> I have to go to a Total Wine so I can actually see him. Anyway, that's a little sad peek behind the curtain, I guess. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it's uh, time for, what are we calling this? P pears and pours? Pears and pours. We never decided what kind of pear it was. It was pear, bear, and pours. And I think it's uh, the fruit. Pear and pour. <laughs> we just eat pears just and pour, pour uh, different bourbons with them. Every it doesn't soak up any of the bourbon. It just no. slides right over the skin. We just scoop it out. And we make a little glen of a, from a pear, and we just... Oh, I hate that. That's really bad. <laughs> that's really gross to me. I don't like pears as it is. I'll tell you what. I like this pairing, though. I do, too. This is, what is it? A Lottie Petite Choco Pie. And then some, I think, some 
Japanese kanji. Sure. But this also comes to us from Don Nishida, again, our good buddy out in Thank Hawaii. Thank you, Don. Thank you, Don, for sending that big box of pairing goodies, treats. I'm excited about it. And we, uh, we did our, our little homework before we got into this. We did it on the pregame chats. And we tasted this. And we pretty unanimous, unanimously said that it needed to be a weeder. Yes. That went with this. So I, I tried to convince you to go for the maker's sexual chocolate pick from Ernie's. Right. But beer. this, to describe this to the listeners, this is like a little bitty baby moon pie, if mm-hmm. anybody's had one. But it's better. It is better. Than a moon pie. They describe it on the packaging as a chocolate-coated vanilla cream sandwich pie. And it's basically if your great-grandma made a moon pie and she used all the best homemade ingredients and she made it better than the company. A little less of the vanilla marshmallow filling, a little more cake on the bottom and the top. And... Perry suggested uh, Last of the Mochas, aka Sexual Chocolate Makers Select, which would have sent that we probably would have been in a diabetic coma <laughs> um, if we took that much chocolate and put it together. Yeah. But Weller Antique 107 with this, it it adds this caramel. Uh, it's you like said like nougat. Nougat. It turns it into a, like this candy bar that's yeah. just, it's, this is amazing. Which is funny because mm. oh you've been God. doing candy bar pouring, mm-hmm. or pairings. Pourings. Jeez Louise. I think I'd learn how to talk by now. I don't care what you're saying right now. This is amazing. <laughs> he's oh in, my. He's in pairing heaven, y'all. Oh, it's so good. You could even, uh, this little petite pie will even absorb for a pour over somehow man they're so good mm. i could crush this whole bag of these things <laughs> i gotta save at least one for my wife but yeah she'll love that i oh think i'm gonna goodness. have to send some home for you mm. and yours mm. oh <laughs> thank you don thank you don indeed mm. so i have to put a picture of that up too. Oh, yeah. I don't think we we need to put a picture of all the pairings we do. Absolutely. I'll do this one. Didn't you do one? No, you didn't do one last week. I was uh, supposed to do one last week. I'm great at social I media. I got this. You got it. While you're doing that, Eric, I think it's time to ask you, what have you been drinking recently? What have I been drinking? Well, I revisited the rabbit hole single barrel that we talked about the other day. Mm. I was on a uh, a live stream with our buddy Matt from Wrestling with Whiskey, mm-hmm. where we roasted people's bourbon collections. They were they knew what they were getting into. They sent pictures into Matt. He has a uh, a little series where he playfully roasts people's collections, not necessarily saying they have a bad collection, but like why would you put that there or why did you have that with this. So I was I uh, revisited the uh, rabbit hole single barrel and it is even better than when we had it before. Really? It's opened up. It's got a lot more it's a lot more full tasting, I guess. Like that honey flavor that we got. Mm-hmm. 
it it's like total like honey explosion that's right good now. to hear so i'll bring that back over um yeah, let you try it and um other than that i i opened a new bottle of uh heaven hill just the green label six year oh yeah and that thing surprises me every time yeah, i have it absolutely i just it i it sucks it sucks that it's basically non-existent yeah that you can't get you know a 13 14 dollar bottle anymore i mean yes it does suck i don't disagree with you on that there is the new Evan Williams 1783, though. True. Which I feel like is a a good replacement for it. I think it's a great bottle. Yeah, it's a little bit more expensive, but I, I mean, at least it's not like completely being taken away from us. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's some ups, there's some downs, some highs and some lows. It but is what it is. That's life. As as I uh, was it Dean Martin? <laughs> did Dean Martin say that? Did he say that? Or did Frank Sinatra? I don't I don't know those old old uh classic singers like that. That's all right. Uh I have been rolling along with uh, thirty days of bourbon. You have. I've seen your posts. But I did kind of copy you <laughs> and your payday pairing. Hey, I sent that to you before I even posted it. Because it was such an amazing pairing. I want everybody to do that. Everybody can post that. I don't care a bit. We need a we need a hashtag for it. Hashtag if you want us to see this this picture of you pairing Granddad one fourteen with a payday bar, send us your pictures with the hashtag I I paired OGD one fourteen with a payday. Cheers, Perry and Eric. <laughs> Of this is my bourbon podcast. podcast. <laughs> is there a limit on a podcast on a on a hashtag hashtag limit? I honestly don't know. <laughs> it, it would be really, be really funny if somebody actually did. Or that. you, can, yeah, I was going to suggest Patrick, something I'm else. I'm looking at you, but I want to see if somebody actually puts that whole hashtag in something. I don't even remember what I just said. So, OGD payday. Uh, yeah, just do OGD payday. That works just as well. Uh. Firing on all cylinders here. This is my bourbon podcast. I would love to have some of that Four Roses single barrel pick from the Railbird Festival. I appreciate you, buddy. Bringing that over. Hey, you know what else I share appreciate? It. Share share all your good stuff with people. That's all I say. Mm. Oh, that was a great cork pop. You know what else I appreciate though is the fact that I was able to sit down with Joe Beatrice from Barrel, which is actually the interview that you are about to hear. It's a good on one. Podcast. We talk a lot about the different processes that he he has gone through in blending, the creation of the company, how his his vision was ultimately realized. And I, I if you're a fan of, and hopefully you are because you're listening to this podcast, but if you're a fan of the the interviews that I have done in the past, this is like classic Tim Bip interview. I mean, like, everything about this I was so happy with and so positive about and feel like I just made a new friend, too, in Joe. And I'm, I'm really excited for you guys to hear this. I'm really excited to see where things go with Barrel in the future as well. Um, I would also recommend, if you have not checked out the interview that I did with Trip Stimson last year, who is their, 
He's not their master distiller. He's like their head of blending or something, or like chief scientist guy. I don't know. There's that, a, I think that sounds awesome. Chief, chief scientist, scientist guy. guy. But it I also, hope he has that it, on it his card. It also says, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I think that uh, he should put that on his card. Yeah. Uh, but this is kind of like a the second part for that interview, um, I would say, because we, we carry a lot of what I, I talk about with Trip into this episode and then just just really expand on it. So we also talk about something, and I'm not going to spoil it. But there was a there was a comment, and you'll hear it. There was a comment that Joe made about blending that absolutely blew my mind. We'll talk about it. Mm. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. But hope you guys enjoy the interview. We'll be back at the end for tips and bits. I'm very excited to welcome to the podcast the founder of Barrelcraft Spirits, Mr. Joe Beatrice. Joe, how are you doing, my friend? I am great. I'm so happy to be here. It's- I am super excited to finally have you on the show too. But this is I, I said this when we had Trip on last year, but we kind of been circling around getting uh, getting the, the the team for for Barrel on the show in in some capacity, one way or another. And we kind of had to split this up. I guess this is technically like part two of you know the Barrel Craft Spirits discussion uh, that we had last year, but. I'm I'm incredibly excited to get to sit down and, and talk with you. And I I I wanted to run this past you before we got started. I don't know if this is gonna mean anything to you, but I look at you in the bourbon industry in the same way that I look at Paul Reed Smith in guitar, the the, the guitar making industry. Now I yeah exactly yeah I knew that that okay. was going to be like the the you know there was no way for you to connect that but it, it's it, it's the the notion of kind of coming out of nowhere and and bringing all of this energy and this passion into the industry and creating these these high end products that truly do live up to people's expectations and and find a a really strong kind of cult following behind them as well um so that if if it intrigues you at all to learn more about who paul reed smith is he makes carlos santana's guitars um it's my assignment it's my assignment tonight i will (laughs) so i i think that for the most part people pretty much know who you are what you've done how you came into the the industry as it as it were but i i do want to kind of give you the opportunity just in case folks don't know and this is the first time that they've ever uh heard of you or or heard you speak on a podcast before to talk about uh your journey into becoming a part of the the bourbon industry at large and what got you into this what made you want to take that big leap well um well first um i i just want to say your interview with trip was I'm not sure what else there is to talk about. It was about as thorough an interview as I've heard. <laughs> he covered everything with him, but, uh, but I, I guess this is one question you didn't cover. So um, true. Yeah. yeah, I didn't. I didn't get his take on how you got into into bourbon in, into the industry. Well, I um, it, it's sort of interesting. I um, 
I had another life. I, I in in the late '80s, I started an ad agency, which quickly. Uh, then I started a, a sort of a sister company that was internet based, um, and so I got into the internet really early, um, developing uh, websites, application, online marketing, online advertising, um, um, a large scale integration for large clients, and the business was just really grew, and it was sort of the golden age of the internet. Um, in the late 80s and early 90s and into the 2000s. And along the way, um, my company, both of those companies always had a spirits vertical. Um, and I came to Kentucky in the late 80s, I guess it was, and I fell in love with Kentucky. And we we're working with a company called Glenmore Distilleries and worked on bourbons and, and they have a huge portfolio. And then we worked with Hubline, UDV, Diageo. Um, we oh. worked with Cuervo for about eight or 10 years. We, we, we worked through, um, you know, the huge growth that that business had. So, so I've been around spirits for a, a big part of my career. Um, I met Jim Cook for some work from Boston Beer that we were doing and, and uh, inspired me to make beer. Uh, and it was sort of more of a challenge. It was like, you know, you're not going to be able to replicate this. And I'm like, mm, we'll see about that. And <laughs> you know, 10 years later, he was absolutely right. And I was fanatical about trying to be so precise on the beer I made. But but it was he was right. It, 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 it's very difficult. There's a little foreshadowing to be able to um, produce something over and over again. But I love making it. I like cooking. And I love, I love it. And I realized, so over time, time went forward. Um, uh, there was a moment uh, in 2012 or so, 2012, yeah, uh, where my wife and I were at um, a distillery in upstate New York, Hudson Distillery, and in Tunneltown. And um, I had this moment where it was like, Wow, we've been doing this for a lot of a lot, a lot of different clients. We had hundreds of really huge engagements. And I said, we I want to do this for ourselves. And we talked about it and, and we said, yeah, we, let's let's do this. So that was a really a moment of inspiration. And uh, on my desk, I even have the 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 ticket to the tour that we took then. And it was wow. It really sort of was a this cool moment. And and then it so that was in November, and it was exactly one year later we, we bottled our first product. And it took me about a week or three days to figure out that the what what I didn't want to do is build a distillery um at mm -hmm. that point in time. Um so you know it's a hugely capital intensive business. Um, you have to have the right expertise, um, you know, and, you know, enter trip later and he had all the right expertise. And so right. it was always part of our, our business model to, um, after we established the brand to, to do distilling, um, and we do a little now, but it, but it really never, we are, we've been so busy and, and so, uh, growing so fast and we've had such, um, um, great acceptance by everybody from our product uh, of our yeah. product. And so we just figured we might as well stay with what's working with the value that we're creating for people with our brand. So is that answering your question? Is that how yeah, I got I think so. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, so what kind of surprised you more The and this, this is a bit of a, um, it, it might strike you as kind of an odd question as first, but what surprised you more the, the popularity that you first noticed from the products or winning the first award at the San Francisco spirits competition? Um, I think it was probably the award, um, you know, it, it's part, so you realize that, or you probably don't, uh, you know, not <laughs> realize it, but, but as part of, um, what I, what I did in developing 
bringing products to market was a very critical look at what what works, what doesn't, and how do you position something. Sure, sure. So I spent a lot of time really figuring out how to differentiate and and what would be the core attributes of what we wanted to do uh, with our products. And so when when um, when you take that into account, we I spent a lot of time getting feedback from people. I wanted to know what was wrong with anything we were producing. I wanted to hear the, I wanted to hear anything that people didn't like about it. And so that, that evolved into, um, into early on, um, you know, they weren't called, they were, they're not called, they weren't Instagram influencers because at the time it was bloggers. It was influential bloggers. And, and, right. and, and it was, um, um, and so we spent a lot of time, um, sending product out to bloggers and working with them and just getting their feedback and letting them write about the product. We never told people, we, we still don't, uh, we don't, we don't talk about how great our products are, even though we think they are, we let other people come to that conclusion sure. if we like them and we're happy to let them talk about it and share their, their, um, experience. And so that's, that's really led to this, this culture that we have of, letting the product stand on its own. And that's re- represented and reflected through the packaging of both brands and the product that's in, in the product that's in the bottle. So again, another long answer, but it was then when we won the first award, it was like, wow, this is really, this is really cool. And people really like, like the products. And, um, and it just, it's just, it just has been growing exponentially ever since. What, what changed about the way that you approach production of, uh, of barrel craft spirits after that, um, after that, that medal win at San Francisco, honestly, nothing. Yep. We, we, we stayed, we've been doing the same thing from the very first batch. I did the first one on my own. And then, then from the second one on trip, I worked with trip and then, and now we have Nick Christensen on the team and it's really collaborative and Will Shragas is part of it, the, the panel as well. And, um, and so we, um, it, it's always been, uh, that, um, we want to put the best possible product in the bottle that we can make um, with whatever we're working with. And if it doesn't meet that standard, it doesn't, we don't bottle it. We'll sure. circle back to it. And, and that, and, you know, it's people will like one over another or more another. And, you know, I love the debate. It's great. Um, but, uh, but there's a threshold and it's our promise, you know, and, and sure. so the, and the final thing I'd say on that is, is you probably had this experience. I think one of the worst things you can do, is be disappointed by a product. Oh, and absolutely. We've absolutely. all done that, and you know, we, the, the, everybody's doing doing what they can on things. And and you, we've all bought a bottle of whiskey that it's like you're really excited about, and you spent some money on, and you get it back, and it's like, wow. Yeah. And I feel like that's you have one chance to win somebody over. So we, we are. I am, if you, fairly uncompromising. Um. Which is a good and bad thing, but um... <laughs> I don't. I don't. Well, I don't think. I, I think that the the pros more than likely outweigh the cons in that capacity. I think that it's it's important to have that directive, and it's important to be not only your your biggest champion, but also your own biggest critic. I mean, in in many ways, yeah. and I, I mean. There for for every great outstanding product that is on the shelf in the bourbon market, there's a thousand others that are either 
just as much, if not twice as much money. And just, and, and you're right, you know, don't live up to those expectations. They don't have that same value that some other products do. And, and no matter how many times we try to convince ourselves that it's like going back to an old girlfriend that wronged you, right? <laughs> it's, it, it's like, oh, that maybe she'll, you know, she'll have changed. Maybe I'll give her one more chance. Just, you know, things will be different this time. And it never is, right? <laughs> like they, they, these, these companies make their money for a reason. And they're always going to be people who are fans of particular products, regardless of whether or not, you know, whether you want to call it influencers or bloggers or, you know, the media likes them or, or responds positively to them. But, you know, in, in this capacity, it seems like the, the only real criticism that I have ever truly heard from Barrel or about Barrel is the price, right? And I, I think that as we've kind of gotten further and further into the bourbon boom, that's become less of a, a point of contention. I feel like, do you, do you kind of find that to, to be the case as well? Absolutely. I, and I think there's, I want to also talk about the consumer, but to that point, when, when, when I was talking about how that um, I developed the formulation and, you know, the, the, the brand equities and the core principles, one of them was really understanding the, what was going on in the distribution uh, and in the price category and the, and the matrix of pricing. Um, you know, there were there was a fair amount of product that became allocated, and there was plenty of inventory, but it was allocated because looking to price it higher on the shelf. Sure. So you've seen prices creeping up. I just wanted to be at a price point where I knew that other that where the market was going. I just knew it. And secondarily, we did it so that we can we can we can put for the same price a sixteen or twenty four year old product as we do a five or seven year old product. Sure. So, and we're, and that's one of the things that, that's given us the latitude when in most of our blends, there's, if it's a, you know, it's age state of the youngest barrel. Um, and we do that. That's, those are the regulations we do that, but pretty much anything that we've done, uh, this, there's, there'll be some exception. Sure. Um, um, but it's always, there's always a blend of five. If it's five, it's five, seven, 10, 12, 18. There's something in there. Uh, the, and we're not afraid to use those products. Um, to balance out the flavor, to contribute and make a contribution. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's just kind of part of <clears throat> what a lot of people have realized, what a lot of blenders have realized in, in this day and age as well. That I mean, just because it might be over a decade old, that's not always going to be the best components of it. I apologize. I, I cut you off yeah. there. No, at all. Not at all. And, you know, my, my, my personal tastes run toward younger whiskey anyway. I think five to eight is really a sweet spot. Um, but, but the other thing I wanted to mention was, I, I think the other thing that's going on in the world is, is in just seven or eight short years, the whiskey consumer has changed dramatically. I mean, it's, it, it is a, it's a different, it's a different person. Yeah. Um, and they're more discerning. They're more, they're, they want to know more. They're more demanding. People are concerned about what they're, what they drink and what they're consuming. And, um, and, you know, with that comes a responsibility and, um, and, uh, and it's a great thing, you know, and, um, and that's one of the reasons that we created the Psalm line was to address 
to address the the um, the new people coming to the market. It's a, there's a there are a lot more younger people, a lot more women coming to the market drinking bourbon. It, the demographic shift is pretty seismic. It it yeah. really it was older um, and skewed male, and it's not any longer. Uh, we just did an event this weekend with the with the women's symposium. We did a work blending workshop. Oh, fantastic! It was so cool. It was so great. Yeah, <laughs> and they they had a really they had a really good time. And uh, and it's an interesting. Um, uh, Heather Green uh, wrote about this a little bit in her book um, that women's palettes are are very different than men's palettes. Yes, and and it go they it goes back to sort of this. Um, uh, men were hunters, women were, were gatherers, and, and women had to make sure that the food that, that they were, were eating or they were eating then was not poisonous. Right. So they developed a higher sense of uh, sensitivity in the palate to, to smell and taste. And, you know, it's just, it's just sort of a genetic throwback. It just yeah. is the way it is. But, but I, I just found it interesting. And it was, it was, it was, so in the workshop, just a quick digression. Yeah, please. We, um, we did, what we do is we'll, we'll, we'll do, um, we'll let people try to blend to a particular thing. We have a whole process which we're going into. I was amazed at how many people, how many women in that group came close to the solving the problem. We've done this before. And with various audiences, but there was a sure. higher percentage of people who were dead on in this thing. It was it, fun. Can, can you expound on that a little bit? What was, when you'd say the, the problem, what was this um, exercise that you all were doing? So we, we, we start with, we usually will do um, a unique blend for this. Um, yeah, so sure. When we, when we prepare, we'll, we'll come up with something that, that, you know, we're, we're either, uh, it's something we're working on, which a couple of times it has been. So we'll create a blend, a control sample. And in that control sample, um, there will be, we'll give them three ingredients and there'll be three different bourbons and they have to get to that control. And so what, what we, what we say is, um, it's sort of a, a view into the, into our world. Um, but those three components, we've already gotten them 80% of the way there. Because if we're doing something with three or five different components on the final blend, each one of those is something that we blended previously, uh, not previously, but up for this. So sure. that, could, that could represent 20 or 30 different combinations to get to that one component before we do the final blends. So we bring them 80% of the way there and give them three of three of the elements that make up the final one. And they have to figure out how to do it. We can graduate cylinder dropper and some water and, and that water, water to, to rinse the glasses. Uh, not everything sure. is not clean. Um, and so they have to try to figure out what's in there. It's amazing. It's a, it's a, it's, it's really hard. It's um, really hard to do. That is really fascinating to me. And, and like, I, part of me was going, I kind of want to, I kind of want to accept that challenge, like see what I can, you know, what I, what I could, do with it and and not maybe not even to the point of like you know getting as close as i can to what that that product is but just you know a, approaching it with like what's the best thing i can make with the the tools that i have in front of me yeah that's right? exactly right that's exactly right well, you know we'll, we'll talk we'll send you some components you can play I, around with. i would love that <laughs> that would be i would absolutely love to do that that would be fantastic we yeah. also so I, also, I mean you could also do it with with existing products you know it's it's there you, go. It, you can just you can try you know it's <laughs> um it, it is somebody we were 
I was talking through this with somebody and saying, you know, how do you, how can you do this? How do you create an infinity bottle? And I said, you know, start with, start with a, something high proof or something, you know, young and, and then try to work it down with older and just see where it gets. And you'd be shocked at, right. at what you find. So I, I want to, we'll, we'll circle, we'll circle back to the, that eventually, I'm sure maybe, maybe off, uh, off, offline, but I, um, I wanted to talk about a couple of things. Um, one of those is your, your all's newest line that uh, that you introduced. This was last year, right? The, that it was uh, brought to market? Sell them? Yeah. Uh, it was uh, April. April, actually. golly. Okay, yeah. well, this year that, uh, the second part of the year that felt like 10 years crammed into <laughs> a couple. Um, golly. So where where does Stellum kind of come into this uh, this trajectory for you this this story of of Barrelcraft Spirits? It's um, so a question. Uh, we we had this we had this idea um, a while ago of, of bringing to market something that was ta- that we blended that was tailored to um, a, a slightly different palette and. Um, uh, um, we wanted to continue. We wanted to be cast strength, uh, mm-hmm. is because that's as close as you can get to drinking whiskey out of a barrel. Which is, yeah, we we do it every day, all day, not all day, every day, um, and uh, and and so it's it, it's we sometimes take it for granted how, what a great experience that is. What, yeah. what a great concentration of flavor. So we wanted to make a cast strength. Um, we we started buying barrels um, so we could even bring it in at even a lower price point. Um, and, um, and it sort of, it fits with, with what we do. So let me just do a quick pivot to Barrelcraft Spirits. Yeah, please. Barrelcraft Spirits is, is, um, the products are more complex and at times more challenging to somebody so that there's, there's a lot more going, not a lot more, there's more going on, um, that somebody can discover. And our, we we have products that are, we call discovery, which is which is there's always something new to try, and in that process, we will uh, sometimes evolve some of the discovery products into full line products, um, like seagrass dovetail and armida. Right. I think I remember. I, I think yeah. I remember Trip talking about that last year. Yeah, well, that sounds all, that sounds familiar. And it's so. funny because I know you tasted the apricot. Uh, finished whiskey and uh, and a pear one, uh-huh. which which th- which which is for us. It's really informative. We really watch and understand what people like and respond to them, and then it's interesting when it when it really when it coincides with things we like. We then develop that more. So we we made those ingredients into our evergreen products. The products are always available. So it's a little bit different. And so what we want to do with, with Stellum was to have a product that was ongoing. We do sell, sing, we have, we sell single barrels yeah. line too. Um, but we wanted to make something that was a little bit more, um, um, that was more uh, ongoing. It also, the, from a packaging perspective, it was very minimalist. It's very simplistic. It's very straightforward. Yeah. Um, you know, with everything we do, it's not, there's no, secret family recipe that we found in a trunk uh, <laughs> there's there it's all about the whiskey 
so we wanted to be a minimal minimalist and you know stellum is it's a it's derivative of the, the latin word for star so you know it, that's what was inspiration oh. to me when i was growing up and so we we've sort of run with that and in our private in our um single barrel single barrels are um are based on different stars or constellations um and we do a series of each ones of those um i didn't know that that's incredible yeah yeah it's, yeah so if you look at the label you can see stars on it and stuff so we've been doing a lot of label development with that so the whiskey is very nuanced it's layered it's very accessible um i find the bourbon um to me the bourbon speaks to me is in such it's such a sweet spot it's syrupy to me i i just i just every time i drink that bourbon um i just go back to the you know the things that that just jump out at me you know it's the the, the candiness of it, the marshmallow, yeah. vanilla, um, the ginger, chocolatey syrup. I mean, it just—it's it, a lush. It to me, it's—it's it's such a lush and luscious bourbon. Um, I find myself—it's it, interesting because you, you saw the head model here. Um, I realized I went through. I, I sort of judge what I like by how soon it, it's empty in my shelf. And we, I went through a bottle of Stellum and I, I don't drink that much at night. Uh, and, but I was shocked at how fast that bottle went. <laughs> yeah. Before, before we started, you were trying to figure out whether or not you had an open bottle in front of you. And um, that's a, I, I feel like that's equally a good and uh, potentially bad problem to have but i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna lean into the the good side of uh, a a good problem to have you know yeah you have to give yourself little you know little celebrations or little excuses uh (laughs) since the pandemic you know but anyway um so yeah i i've i've been kind of tasting through uh the the bourbon and the rye from stellum uh as as we've been chatting and I, uh, I I have to say this is my first time having them. Uh, I had not even had them prior to uh, the uh, the bottles being sent to me um, by by Aaron, excuse me. Uh, and I I didn't have a lot of expectations one way or another going into these, right? Um, I had seen them on the shelf before, saw that it was about $60, right, per, per bottle. Um, 55 is the MSRP. Sure, but yeah. It, it, it's whatever it gets. We have no control over that. <laughs> Liquor Barn or Total Wine could be marking it up just a little bit. I'm not sure. But, um, it, you know, it, there, there was something where I was kind of like, I'm just going to wait a little bit. Like, I just want to wait a little bit to see, you know, what what this product is all about and i haven't really listened to or or read or heard a lot of feedback about um stellum in general but i how how have you guys found the the market has responded to these two products so far it's interesting um we we did a we did a allocation of projection of what we thought we're gonna do for the year for the rest of the year. And we did that in the first month. Wow. So it was, so we have already, we've already done, I think, I think we're on our fifth. Um, it's, it's consistent product. So we've, we've, we've done it five times already this year, both of them. Um, and the market really responded. I mean, you know, as 
for you know the awards are you know it's it's not it's not really a yardstick that we use but but it's it's a nice um it's a nice accolade and these things both of these products cleaned up across the board i mean it was they did extremely well in the competitions um so we're really happy with it and i mean and you know we we our measure is how people well, how people talk about it um, and, you know, the, certainly it's the reorder rate, which which stores put it back in stock uh, as a measurement, a metric that we look at. And, and it's it, it's happening at a at a um, extremely fast rate, uh, more than we expected, which That's is fantastic. Nice. And so we're just we're running. We're going with it. <laughs> <laughs> will will Stellum always kind of stay at just a bourbon and just a rye or will it see some kind of influence that? Uh, barrel craft spirits has uh yeah i see the smile there they, you know, <laughs> maybe i know the answer already well the thing is it's it's uh the what happens is we just we naturally innovate so it's like what if what if what if and so we're always trying different things i mean we've already we've already done a couple of uh one-off uh private release blends of it mm-hmm. that are that are variations of on the theme on this and uh uh, and, um, and we're, I, the short answer is, answer is, I don't know, but <laughs> we, we probably, yeah, we, we probably will. I, More I just, than likely. Yeah. yeah, I, we just, uh, we we just like, we do so much. We're constantly doing new things, new yeah. stuff. I, I, I'll, I'm going to tell on myself for a second here too. Um, in terms of new things and things that I tried at one point and wasn't entirely sure about based on first impressions, um, I had a hard time grasping seagrass oh. when I first tried it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know if it just, my, my palate was off at the time, but I, it just tasted like, I think I said like wet grass or something or wet hay or something when I, when I first tried it, but I actually tried it last night in preparation for today. I don't know what's happened, but I'm, I'm totally turned around on this now. And it, it's, <laughs> it's so funny because I, and maybe it's just because I've experienced more rum or gotten to the point where, you know, I've, I can understand that it's not just supposed to be a cast strength rye whiskey. It's, it's a cast strength rye whiskey with other influence, you know? Yeah. And you you know, I, what I would say to you is, um, is your, your palate is so influenced by what, what's going on. Yeah. Absolutely. You've eaten um, what, you know, what time of the day it is. You know, do you, are you stuffed up at all? You know, I mean, it's, it's, we do, for me, I do the heavy lifting tasting early in the morning okay. because that's when my palate is freshest and it's cleanest and I really can get it. Um, seagrass is this, so we launched that in March and it, it's, it's in the shadow of Stellum, but it was the most successful sort of evergreen product launch we've ever had. Um, and wow. so we had, we had the double header of seagrass and the stellums taking off in the same time in March and April. And it's interesting that you say that the, the, so one of the, um, 
one of the finishes in there is an extremely complex um, um, blending uh, exercise is the apricot uh, barrels. Apricot, there is, there is, there is no apricot barrel, apricot brandy. It's a, it's, it's Johnny made <laughs> and we'll, we will, we'll use it to, we will use the brandy to continue to condition an expert barrel or another brandy barrel, whatever, whatever yeah, we have, we have a lot of options. Um, and, you know, we use it to condition the barrel, then we, you know, dump it out. And, um, and so one of the things that we do that differentiates is that we use extremely expensive ingredients on the conditioning. Um, like the pair with Armida is we buy this very expensive O to V, um, that's produced in Oregon. Um, and we, we basically buy their entire production of the Bartlett pair, which, which is the pair that we figured out is the right the right, the best one for us. And so we buy it and we use it at 160 proof um, and to condition the cast. So anyway, back to seagrass. It's um, you, I think that, that, that seagrass is so nuanced and deep that the thing, the thing that I recommend is to let it sit in a glass a little bit first, let it open yeah. up because it's so much, but I'm not surprised by that. Um, you know, and there, there are times when I'll taste the whiskey we never make a decision based on what tasting. When sure. We, sure. Oh we'll, yeah, of course. We'll of course. sit with it and come back the next day. What, what's been the, I, I need to figure out the right way to phrase this question. <laughs> <laughs> But maybe I'm going in a couple different directions here, but the, the thing that my first, my brain kind of first went to was what was a, a particular product that you were the most excited for in theory that didn't work for you all in execution. And it, not something that necessarily went to market, but I, you know, something that you, you experimented with uh, in, in the trial and error process. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, it's it's funny uh we do these we do a lot of just experimentation just cr the craziest things so i think the worst thing that we ever did was a vermouth finish which was awful oh. i mean <laughs> we couldn't make that work for anything it was it was just really bad um and then probably another one was um and uh, like we we left some we left um, some whiskey in a barrel in a uh, in a port pipe forever, and it was undrinkable. Wow. Uh, after a certain point, it just it just was way too heavy and just we couldn't even blend it. We couldn't even use it as an ingredient. Really, it was just it was just too much. It happens, but I, but, <laughs> but we try to get at the experimental stage. So it's sure uh, you know, it, it's when we it's when uh, it's th that and also. We have a built-in um, sort of test platform, which are our private releases. We do 96 variations True. at a time. True. And so we get to know, like, like you know, German ice wines are great. Tokai barrels are amazing to use. Um, um, and um, Irish whiskey is an incredible, uh, is an incredible uh, ingredient to use as a, as a, in a barrel finish. Um, and so it's it's trial and error, and it's you know it's what if you know even to the point like we do a lot of like internally we do a lot of education. Um, we do we, sure about once a month, all of us will get together on on Zoom or, or people are in Kentucky. Usually it's in, on Zoom, 
and we'll we'll do a we'll do a we'll do a deep dive into something like we did in Madeiras. I mean, they're they're over there. Um, mm-hmm. We really tasted through the the Madeiras to to really understand the differences. And uh, and what happens is you realize you see how that that can influence uh, a finish on a whiskey. And so, you know, we get into the history of it, what, the evolution of it, what, what it takes, what, how it's produced. And then, you know, we think about how it might, how it might work. Um, like another thing that didn't work was, um, or that we haven't been able to make work is uh, we bought a lot of, um, I'm blanking on the name. That's okay. A dessert wine from an island between Sicily and Morocco. Um, Pantelleria, maybe, um, <laughs> and you know, it, it's it, on its own, it's delicious, but it, it's we haven't found the right whiskey to use it with. Right? Maybe, maybe we haven't just gotten to the right product, or maybe it's a rum that we need to look at. But oh, you know, or or Agricole, which is a, a, a phenomenal uh, spirit on its own, makes a great. Um, finishing agent for things. Sure. So. Sure. I had that that was just one of those things where it's kind of been sticking in the back of my mind for a little bit. And I was like, I gotta ask him. It's a good question. Where, where not did everything he, works. <laughs> where where did he fail? Where did he learn that not everything's gonna work right off the bat? But um I'll talk about something that does seem to work really super well. Barrel bourbon batch 30. Um this is a terrific bourbon. I, I'm I'm head over heels with with this one it is so dense i mean like that's that's the first thing that i always have noticed with this is that it just like it's like trying to lift thor's hammer off of your tongue dense like (laughs) you can't escape it you can't escape the viscosity of this bourbon and the finish goes on forever. Incredible. So, you know, like people ask me all the time, like, what's your favorite one? And and it's such a, I'm so fickle about this, which the truth is it's the current one because I really like that. And then I'm on to the next one. But this is one where uh, I have to say, um, well, actually when we were, what, what happened when we were blending this is we, we, we set up, we have, we have goals we want to get to. Um, and they're, they can be volume goals combined with flavor profiles. And one of the things that we've learned is you have to know when to say it's done. Sure. Or when to say it's not done. Yeah, yeah, sure. And knowing when to say it's done is almost harder sometimes. And because because especially when you're working with any, um, uh, especially when you're working with weeded bourbon, weeded bourbon has this really unusual characteristic that it can it can flatten out a profile like that. And, and it is, I am, I am constantly amazed by what the threshold is of that. This perception threshold of when it, when it goes over the edge. So with this one, uh, we were about, we were blending and we're maybe, I don't know, two thirds of the way through the volume we wanted because we step up to the volume. We we blend. If there's, if there are 30 different, um, Barrels, or we've broken down the six different types of, of pre-blends of components. Um, we 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 step up to the volume we want, and there was this moment when we did this, and we're two thirds of the way through. Where we were in the lab, we tasted it, and I just went, uh, "I think we need to whatever, whatever we are now on the volume. 
this is done. We, we, wow. I, I don't want to go any further with this because it's just so good where it is. Um, that, and we did. And so it's, it's maybe two thirds of the size we wanted. Uh, I don't know, actually, I don't remember exactly how many cases we did <clears throat> with volume we blended to, but, but we, so we stopped and said, that's it. So we then, okay, we'll make 31 a little bit bigger, you know, make up the differential. Uh, and hopefully that works. And if it doesn't, we won't, and we'll make it up in 32, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, um, I'd for forever ago, somebody described, uh, making an album is the same way as trying to find uh, the the door to Narnia. Like it's never the same way <laughs> twice, you know? And I, I fully believe that that's the same with, with creating a new blend of a product in, in the way that you all have to do with, with, with barrel. I mean, there's no, and, and, you know, having spoken with Dixon Deadman on this multiple, multiple times and, and knowing that, you know, he, he is, very much in that same camp of well one plus one doesn't always equal two sometimes it equals five and sometimes it equals negative 30 like (laughs) and and something that i hadn't ever really considered and this is speaking to your point about weeded bourbon or weeded distillate adding or or apparently superbly detracting from a particular blend what I, I, I want to hear more about that. I mean, is that a, a thing where like, if it's too young, it, it kills it, or if it's too no. old, it, it destroys it? Or is it just kind of a, you don't know what's going to, what's going to happen with it when you, before you go into it? Well, I'll tell you how I think about it. But first I'll give you the, a hint. Um, the way to Narnia is in the back of the wardrobe behind the fur coats. <laughs> That's how you get there. That's the only consistent one. That's so, the way. Get, that's right. That's how you get to Narnia. That's the only true path in. That's an obscure reference that uh, we'll see if we get that one. Um, so, Sweet into the show and let us know if you caught that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we did bourbon. I, I, you know, the way I think of it a little bit is, and I don't. Trip could really speak to the science. This, and actually, now that I'm thinking about it, maybe maybe I should I should talk about this a little bit. But I think of um, of different mash bills having a frequency curve. Like like there there are things oh, wow. you taste. You know, you're yeah, the yeah, 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 absolutely. And 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 so one of the things that we try to blend toward is a is there's something in the, in the beginning on the nose and the when you in the palate and the mid palate and on the finish. We try to make sure that when we blend something that there's something at every point there for the people who drink our product products. And so it's almost like, if you think of it as, as these waves that, that, and if you look at, if you put the sound together, they'll sometimes they'll cancel it out. That's how no yeah. canceling headphones work. It cancels out this, the wave. Right. And I think it's a similar thing in flavor. And for some reason, for some reason, and and now I need now I need to find out what the science is behind this, um, uh, or sort of dig into it a little bit more. Is sure. that that the wheat tends to flatten out certain other attributes um, in the blend, or enhance it? But that threshold where it's it's very unforgiving. It is it is tight. We blended. Uh, 20, I want to say, let me see if I, six maybe, or I think six was the other one where I thought where this was true. 
Yeah. Um, where we were, it was in, uh, in, this is the relative scale in 5,000 rough, rough five or 6,000 gallons. We were working with five gallon increments of the, of the weeded whiskey. That's how wow. tight that threshold is. So we would, we, that's when we inch our way up to it, we would add it and then add, we have these, these large tanks that we have made that are, have sort of these proprietary things to um, the proprietary piping and fittings and in, in, in guts inside. Um, and we, we went, we bought, we over-invested in the agitators so that they're extremely efficient and can do it slowly. So it doesn't, it doesn't make the whiskey too angry, but we can turn over the contents in about 20 minutes. So we can, we can wow. ongoing taste and, and see where it is. It's never the final answer. Once again, we have to, you know, we always wait until the next day until it's sure. a little bit, and then we'll wait at least a week before we decide anything definitively because it's still angry. Um, and that that threshold was we were doing it in five gallon, and then even less than that increments, which is first of all, it's hard wow. to measure five gallons because because when you're at a different scale, you're measuring on weight. So uh, well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, you can't you can't take a measuring cup and. There's no, <laughs> there's no Celsius oh, to Fahrenheit no, okay. <laughs> equation well, there. The funny thing is, I mean, it's funny because you're, when we're doing it, it's like when we're doing it at that level, we actually switch back to like, like a five gallon carboy. I mean, that wow. was the increment because, because we, because other than that, it's like, we have, we have nothing small enough to, to weigh out five gallons. I guess we could put it on our other scale. I guess we could do that. I mean, we do have a scale. You, you run to Home Depot real quick and see whatever kind of bucket they have. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it ends up, you know, we end up, we end up using totes on scale. You know, we, we use yeah, steel, of course. steel totes, we put totes and scales and you, and you to get the weight differential, but, but five gallons is a small amount. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When you're doing this now, but Gosh. anyway. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I am curious to know more about the, the science behind that. And I'm sure it has to do with the, you know, the way that the oils and the esters and all, everything work is, yeah. you know, the, the corn is getting aged in Nashville and, and whatnot. And the, the interesting thing, the, this kind of started creeping into my brain as, as you were talking about this. And you might actually have an answer for this. I'm not entirely sure. But Whereas wheat in a mash bill doesn't really add anything to the overall flavor profile, could the same effect be possible if you just totally removed wheat from the equation and just only had corn and malted barley? I mean, what, what's the, you know, is there some kind of, maybe not magic number, but I mean, what, maybe there is some science behind it to where that would look, you know, I think there, I mean, like there, a there, possibility. There, there obviously is a lot of science behind it, but you know, I think that we play with mash bills that are all over the place. I and mean, we play with low rye, high rye, um, even some high malted barley mash bills. Um, wow. Um, but you know, but the, the, the weed is, is a different animal altogether. It softens the bourbon a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why, that's why people like makers because yeah. it, it's a very soft, um, on the palate, uh, bourbon, you know, and, and there, you know, people, 
it's a great product and has been for a long time. And people like are fanatical about it. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, but they figured out they figured out the formula and the recipe and and you know and they yeah they they sorted that out. Um, but you know, I mean, I think that uh, that we we're, we're one of the things that we we do all the time though is we're not just working on mash bill because we're blending sure. different mash bills together. So that's why we have such variation in what we do because we're able to, you know, we're able to, it's, it's almost like we can take a pointer and, and pull something out of one, one nuanced mash bill um, or yeast strain. And, uh, and we'll focus on that and play around with it until we, until we tease that out. That's why we were able to, you know, uh, to get such variety in the, our bourbons. They're really different. Do you, do you allow yourself, does your team allow themselves to look at what came before and say, I like what we did with that. Let's see if there's some, I mean, and not just with these private releases that, you know, eventually turn into, as you've been saying, evergreen or um, even just, you know, different iterations of a particular product, but um, even from batch to batch in the, in the bourbons, I mean, is, is that something that you guys kind of have conversations about, or do you try to stay pretty focused on, um, on, on, on one particular batch at a time? No, we, we, the, it's, it's, it's the, it's the former. We, we spend, um, we will taste, um, when we're getting close to something, we'll taste it blind up against the last five or six batches just to see where it is. Or we'll go back. We're constantly, we do, first of all, we do everything on a blind basis. Um, there's too much bias introduced when you know mm -hmm. what you're tasting. I mean, the thing is, we, at this point, we can pretty much figure out what we're tasting, but um, but we do it, it, it. And what we learned from experience when you're tasting a lot is that we have to do it all on a grease slate or we have glass tables that we write on so that we don't lose track of what we're tasting. Sure. <laughs> Cause the second I put a glass down, I forgot which one it was. I have notes there. Um, and, uh, and so we, we do, we, it's almost like a back test. So we would do it two ways. Um, we will go back to something that we produce that we like and say, you know, um, let, let's try to replicate and build on, this aspect of this one release. So that, that's one way we do it. And then when we're done, when we're close, we will go back and taste it against everything because we want to make sure that there's a progression, there's a differentiation. Sure. And, you know, there were times when if we thought it was too close to something recent, we just, okay, let's back burn that and come back to it and figure out what else we're going to do. Um, because at any given time, we're, we're vatting barrels all the time that we're using for different components or different blends. Um, right. And so we have, we have a, you know, we're constantly, we process a lot of barrels every week that we're, we're bringing in dumping and then, uh, and then putting them together in ways um, that either become a component of something or become the core of one of the products. It's, it's a hard, it's hard to visualize, but it's a very sure. um, uh, complex matrix of what we have going on to give me time. And, and it's, it's a logistics nightmare. I mean, we, we're bringing Certainly. barrels all the time because we have barrels all, all over the place. We don't store in our facility. We're in a small facility. Sure. We, just bought it, we just bought a new building and we're expanding, but, but we have to be really conscious of what we bring in and what goes and what we dump and what goes out. So we, we are, 
Um, it's, it's, it is, and you're dealing with the vagaries of trucking companies, especially in COVID, which is. Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Or at least it's the excuse for why the trucking. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw some, I, I had a friend send me a, um, just a, like an internal memo from their company today talking about how they haven't been able to receive certain parts for, you know, their, their machines and why that actually has been happening. And, and, you know, they keep saying that part of it is because of COVID. And then part of it is that they, their system is just completely, you know, deteriorated after everything has, uh, you know, hit the fan in the way that it did over yeah, the past you know, year and a half. It's an interesting, you know, and there, there, you can, I'm sure you can read up on it if you look at you know global logistics companies yeah. and what's happening. But you know the flow of goods in the world pre-COVID was you know, stuff is made in China, put into containers, or you know, brought over, go to Europe, and they flow to here or they go to the United States, and those containers move around. When you have a backup or, or just a, a suspension of movement like like we had, the disruption is it ripples. It's huge. Yeah. Um, to the point where. Um, you know, uh, so when we get our bottles are made in France and in Mexico. And so we and, and I love watching the shipments, the container ships. Uh, there's an app that you can use to watch the container ships and where they are. And it, it's always amazing to me the, the, the route that, <laughs> that ships travel to get here at five <laughs> miles an hour. You know, it, it, it actually is like, like 14 miles an hour that you Golly. watch you can watch it and it and then you lose it in the middle of the ocean where there, there's no um uh you know local um satellites or when they, they fall out of visibility but then you see they'll come into a port and they'll be there for a week or two yeah. weeks mm -hmm. they're waiting to be offloaded because everything is so backed up um so that's i mean that's an interesting thing and then and then shipments coming from Mexico are, that's a whole other set of issues. There are, you know, sure. it's, it goes by truck, not boat. And there's a wide variety of, um, what did they tell, what did they say, how they, what did they say? There's a big variation in truck suspension in the, in the trucking fleet. Okay. That goes from Mexico to the United States. So you have things that arrive no problem and quickly. And you have other things that are like, what did you do? Throw this against the wall before you brought it? <laughs> <laughs> what was what was the biggest? I don't want to keep you too much longer. I apologize. I know that we we needed to keep this around an hour, and we're we're kind of approaching that. So I just wanted I wanted to be mindful of that, and didn't want to I didn't want you to think that I was trying to take up your entire evening. But um, what what were some of the 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 major changes that you kind of felt like you had to make? As as COVID was happening, as things were um, very quickly shifting, uh, mm. not not just with the industry, but also just the the world at large. That's a really good question. Um, uh, so it goes back to um, March, uh, end of February, early March. There, there was this an event in Kentucky called Speedball, which it's a benefit for the Speed Museum. Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 and it was one of those. It was the last. Uh, <laughs> all I know is Monday afterwards in the news, it was like four people have COVID from that event. And we're like, uh oh. Oh uh, my gosh. 
So that was a pretty that was eye opening. But but I, the, what what I saw in how it affected us was there were a couple of things that we did. Uh, we went on lockdown immediately. Um, I then um, it, then invested in and bought uh, and um, very sophisticated ventilation, air quality, and handling systems for our place. So any so we're in an old data facility. So the where our bottling is is got these gigantic air handlers that were to keep the temperature constant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we put in we put in um, uh, HEPA filters and ultraviolet filtration and unique unique systems in each room where there are people, so that we would mitigate and the air turnover rate was very high. These are hospital quality ventilation systems we put in. Wow! I wanted to make sure everybody was healthy, and we've been really lucky. And so we were very strict on we don't we didn't allow people in, and you know, so we were very strict about that. The other thing that, that the other impact to us was I immediately bought and brought into the country every single component that was from outside the country so that we would have enough to operate for a year, no matter what. Cause you know, in March and April, who knew well, yeah. 2020, nobody knew anything about anything. Yeah, absolutely. So we locked that down and then we quickly, uh, we shifted, um, we upped our D to C platform uh, and then shifted to zoom right away. Um, and so we, we did all distributor training, retail training and sales, and we did events ongoing. We still do with Zoom. So we adapted early and quickly and, uh, and still we've, we still do. So it's really changed the way that we operate. And, you know, it's made us more efficient and made us more mindful of what we're doing. And, um, and we, and it's also, um, you know, we love, we love to see our sales team and bring them in and meet, but, you know, it's it in many ways is refreshing to hear that perspective and that course of action being taken um there's a there's a company in in lexington um that <clears throat> still at at you know march 11th of last year you know was when everything started really hit the fan and then you know by the next week everything was shutting down and the the owner of this company brought essentially everybody who worked in the building into their their meeting room read off a list of names and said uh if you if you are not on this list you get to stay and if if you are you need to leave and go file for unemployment and basically everybody who was working there at the time that you know was allowed to keep their job had to still go into the office every day no change no no alteration no compassion even for for the situation and 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 I don't know if that's if the the difference between that and and what you describe to me is a difference in compassion or just the, you know, the, the mindset of different business people or, or what, but I, I just, every, every now and then it is refreshing to hear when people say, we saw what was happening. We took the necessary steps to keep people safe, but also to, you know, still trudge along to move forward in the way that we needed to to succeed right yeah yeah Yeah. and 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 it's 
I, I had a moment at the end of, at the end of 2020, uh, amidst, you know, all of the insanity and all of the frustration and all of the just awfulness that, that we endured and, and just saw the beauty in, and this is getting very fluffy, but the, <laughs> the, the, the beauty in, speaking. yeah, <laughs> but the, the beauty in just like the human spirit yeah. during that time. I mean, it, sure. It, it wasn't a hundred percent this way, but you know, seeing people come together and be compassionate for one another and, you know, what we can do when we really put aside, not just differences, but the, the need for a desire for capital gain and, and, you know, make the advancements in science that we needed to during that time so that there was a, you know, a vaccine developed so quickly and so efficiently um, and multiple vaccines at, at, at that. But it, it just, that is like further proof to me, I guess, that I wasn't that far off the mark <laughs> during, during that time when I kind of had that, that moment of reflection and just going, things are, you know, pretty rough, but there's still, you know, there's still moments, there's still shining lights that kind of ease uh, some of those frustrations, some of those pangs. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that, you know, for us, it's, it's, we, we're a small, really tight team and everybody's important. And, and we, we are, we're cross-trained. A lot of us do more than one job and, you know, everybody's valuable and we want to keep everybody as safe as possible. I mean, we, 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 we are, we have really minimal turnover because we're, we're very conscious of trying to make the lives of people really good that work for us. We're doing well and we want them to do well and want them to thrive. And I think, you know, that's just, that's core to what we do. Um, you know, and, and, um, you know, it's, it's funny, you see things like, um, like in the hospitality business where largely people were not, you know, okay. It's overgeneralization, but there, but there were a pretty large number of people that were not treated well and yeah, uh, well treated badly. And, and now, you know, the, the, the hospitality groups that are thriving are the ones that treat the people well, and the other ones are surprised when they can't get people to work for them. I mean, it's, you know, it's, and there's been a huge awakening of the workforce of, you know, what's important and reprioritization of life. And yeah. And, and just, you know, thing. and, and, you know, people realizing that, you know, there are different ways to be efficient. It's not always, you know, the, the soul sucking going into an office and sitting there for 40 hours a week and questioning all of your life choices. Yeah. Um, I mean, there, there's, <laughs> I mean, there, there, there's just other ways to, you know, succeed and, and be, be confident in, in the, the choices that you've made in life. And Jesus, we really didn't too heavy here, I think. Uh, we did. I don't know. I like, I'm, I'm sorry that it, it kind of <laughs> took that, it took that turn, but I, I feel like, you know, I know that, I know that people are tired of talking about it and I, I, I just as tired of hearing about it as well, but I, I do think that it's important to highlight moments like this or experiences like this that led to success and led to people being safe and, you know, having compassion and, and care for, for others. And so I'm, mm -hmm. I'm happy that I, I asked you that question and that was the answer that, <laughs> that I got from you. And, and I'm happy to answer it, you know, and, uh, and consequently we had an incredible year during COVID and, you know, sure. with, 
You know, I mean, it was for a lot of reasons, but, um, but, you know, we were just, we were very, very careful on everything. I mean, really, I mean, we've been very lucky. So, um, yeah, it's so we'll, we'll go ahead and um, finish off the the COVID side of of the conversation, but uh, I do want to go ahead and start wrapping things up for you. Uh, I, I, I have to ask, are you guys, and I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this. Um, are you guys already working on batch 13? Or excuse me, thirty-one. Golly, 31. that is that is that is the still I'm talking. <laughs> yeah, thirty-one's in the can. I mean, we're 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 looking at thirty-two and thirty-three, and we have, That's we, have awesome. uh, we have to finish up New Year. Um, we did we did we our gray our gray label series. We blended everything. Uh, I think at this point we're we are working on um, we're working on the final. Uh, blends of the whiskey that's this product great mm-hmm. yeah and then we're going to do a small yeah don't do a commercial but small, <laughs> this is uh, the yeah this is the part of the uh show where it becomes shameless self-promotion so <laughs> yeah and uh we're going to do we're actually blending a seagrass version of the gray line um wow which is so it's a it's different ingredients and we've got some really interesting uh, it, it's 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 really good i think it's really good i don't want to tell you what it is. and then i think do, i think i can trust you at this point when you say that you think something is really good like uh, i i don't i don't think that i need to doubt that anymore joe <laughs> thank you um, and then the the other thing that we're going to do this year is we have what we're calling the gold label which is which is at a even it's unfortunately at a higher price point, but it's because of what's in it. Um, so there's going to be a limited release, um, and that's going to be coming um, probably toward the end of the year. Uh, and uh, you know, we, we, we applied for the cola, so it's already it's already out there. It's like you know, there's, the second the, that a, pro, a cola gets approved, it's 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 people are it's all over the place. Right. That's coming up. And, um, you know, we have a little bit of extension on a stelm that we're playing around with. And yeah, but it's, oh, okay. it's staying in the vein of bourbon and rye at the moment, but there will be more. Yeah, right. there's a lot going on. We're busy. So we are, yeah, we're blending, we're always blending new stuff. It's like always a lot, I always have like a dozen simultaneous projects going on. Idle, idle hands, man. I mean, <laughs> 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 Got to stay busy, Joe. Thank you so much, uh, sincerely for for sitting down. This has been uh, a fantastic time getting to chat with you. I look Anytime. forward to. It, we'll we'll have to do this again and more frequently. I hope to uh, yeah. catch up and and everything. But uh, mm-hmm. thank you so much, Aaron. Thank you so much for setting up this interview as well. Um, and uh, we'll we'll see you real soon. Thank you. Thank you once again to Joe for sitting down with me. Thank you to Aaron from the PR company for getting this all set up. And uh, as you heard in the in the interview, Joe had talked about sending me that blending kit that he uh, he sent to the the women of bourbon or bourbon women. That's what it was. Jeez Louise. The bourbon women event that they had uh, where they all had to kind of replicate what was in uh, a control bottle. So I actually have received those samples. And Eric and I are going to be doing a video on that before too long. 
I'm excited. So I'm going to make a fudge round blend. I'm just going to go <laughs> off the rails. You're not even trying to be accurate. He's, you know, I'm just going to go off on my own. No, I will. I will definitely try. <laughs> but he sent. He he was so generous to you. Like he sent, oh, he sent so much. Full 200 mil bottles. Yeah. I mean that's and there were four of them. So that's over like a full bottle of bourbon. You could make so many little blends out of that. I could just make i could just throw all four of the bottles together and just be like hey here you go screw you guys barrel batch 33 (laughs) i'd get in trouble for that Mm. i feel like but so the thing that he said that blew my mind was how weeded bourbon or weeded distillate can drastically change a blend and that there's like a specific threshold that it reaches to where it will either like totally codify the blend or just ruin it. And I he said that we need to I needed to touch base with uh with Trip on that because he would be able to give more information about it because it's like his whole it's a whole science thing. I don't do science well, good. When I think of weeders, I feel like somebody either either does uh, does them good or they don't like yeah oh yeah absolutely a weeder that's too young is just not great one that's just in the middle it's so good you know you get into those older ones they can get a little more more oaky or funky and you gotta really dial it in so i think i feel like it's it's a little bit more delicate process when you're dealing with weeder yeah and and that's kind of what we were we were getting into yeah. as well but um it's it's just something that I hadn't really considered before, but it makes it makes a lot of sense. So, could you imagine like your your top blenders? You know, you got like Dixon, you know, barrel like in like this major like freaking Iron Chef type competition oh. where they were given just random stuff. They had to blend within a certain amount of time, and they presented it to like these judges, like this panel. You imagine how fun that would be. You know, it'd be great too. Is if like they, yeah, like like Iron Chef, where there's always like a little wrinkle. Yeah. Like, oh, you can't taste it. Right. But you can only smell it. Or you know, based you have on to blend it all by just nosing and not palate. Or based on color and what you have in front of you, you have to make you know oh, as close be... to this blend as as you can that would be so fun you've got 30 minutes go go yeah <laughs> there's like a panel you got like a you know like just a podcaster like you're on the panel or you got like a youtuber and then you got like two people from like the industry who are yeah. like sophisticated palettes you know that would <laughs> I think you heard it to... first here i think on... we we need we need oh, to pitch this. This. podcast. Yeah, we need to pitch this. Don't to steal our ideas. I think we should go to Shark Tank with it. <laughs> we give them enough bourbon, they might. Can we do that? I don't know. Does Shark Tank allow TV just, pitches? Uh, just pitches. <laughs> There's no product involved. It's just a pitch. Picture this. Picture this. They're like, who is that? Like, I don't even drink bourbon. Like, what who's, are you talking who's about? Who's Fred Minnick? <laughs> What'd you say your name? Perry. <laughs> What's a podcast? What's a podcast? Uh, wait until they hear about Perry Russell. Anyway. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> How about some tips and bits to round out this episode? Tips and or bits. I got two, actually. I would love to hear them. All right. So the first one, 
it's a little it's a little unique i think but there is an instagram page i want to recommend so the name of the page is lonely bunker and it's basically this guy who he's like a synth piano guy oh snap and the main thing that draws me to the page is because he has a little pocket-sized synth. It looks like a calculator almost, but it's only Mega Man <laughs> sounds, like the music and the beats from Mega Man. And Mega Man is my all-time favorite, like Nintendo Game Boy, Super Nintendo uh, game. Really, I, I didn't love know that. it. Yes. I've played them all. I beat every boss. I get every weapon that they have. Like, I love Mega Man. I love the concept. Every game is basically the same thing. It's just a new story. Yeah. You fight the bosses, oh, yeah. you steal their weapons, and you go on and do that. But the soundtrack of Mega Man has always been one of my favorite things. Very unique. Very yeah. unique. And he takes this pocket synth that only does Mega Man sounds, and he plays modern day songs on it. Like... Anything from Paramore and Green Day to like, uh, he did like All a All Star by Smash Mouth. He did, <laughs> and like Def Leppard. As I said that, I knew that the answer was going to be yes. Yes, and he plays them. I was trying to pull it up. The internet is not. And we're back. And we're back. Sorry, Eric had to connect to the internet. So, how long, is there like a podcast rule of how long you can play a song or anything like that? Actually, this is just a cover song, so I guess it doesn't matter. I mean, really. as long as it's not like on YouTube or anything, okay. it's mostly fine. So this, I'll give you an example of what this sounds like. Well, that's Green Day. That is so cool. So one more here. little My Chemical Romance. That is awesome. See, he's playing it. Oh my gosh. Yeah, he plays all these. Paramore. Yeah. So. I thought that was Olivia Rodrigo. I'm sorry. <laughs> I feel so good. Cause I want it, cause I want it. But anyway, so that's that's a uh, uh, I get lost in that Instagram page. So I'm gonna have to go check it. out. What was the name again? Lonely Bunker. Lonely Bunker. Yes. I'm gonna be spending a lot of time watching this later. <laughs> um, Does he have a YouTube channel? I don't know. I've never looked. I've only I've only watched his stuff on uh, Instagram. I know he makes his own music too. Yep, there he is. Found him. Oh, I love it. I'm going to be watching all of his stuff later. He's got all of his like shorts that he does for uh, for Instagram on here as well. Yes. So he must be on TikTok too? Probably. Dope, dude. Yeah. He's awesome. What um, was your second one? The second one is a show I started on Netflix. It's called Brand New Cherry Flavor. <laughs> okay. Parental advisory warning. I was about to say, is that like a little... little uh, it's it's definitely a parental advisory. Yeah. Not for kids. Yeah. Not for anybody who it gets their stomach turned by gore. Mm. Um, this I thought is, maybe it was some kind of innuendo. No. Uh, well, I guess it could be, but it is a horror show. 
Psycho. More supernatural. So basically, it's about this young filmmaker director in the. It's set in the '90s, and she goes off to Hollywood to try to pitch her movie, and this basically sleazy kind of producer who's kind of washed up finds the tape of her uh, like indie film and is like, I see potential in this. And he basically uh, takes advantage of her and decides to use, Oh yeah, decides to use, says he's going to do all this stuff. Your movie's going to make it big. And then he hires this other director and all this stuff. Well, she meets a modern day witch and decides to put a curse on him. Oh my gosh, that took a turn. Yes. <laughs> so is this all in the first episode? You find this out basically in the first two episodes. Okay, I'm cool. on there's like I think eight episodes, I'm on episode six. Okay. And it's it's this trippy, gory, just psychological, like paranormal horror film. Not film, series. Yeah. And it's just showing her and like how it's basically she gets this curse on him and then it sees what kind of price she has to pay in order for the curse to fulfill. It's got some crazy stuff in it, but I'm, I, I'm definitely going to have to check that I think out. It's, I think it's an amazing show. And like I said, it's not for kids, maybe not for some adults. If you can't <laughs> handle some stuff, but I, I, I recommend it. Yeah. I've seen bright burn. I can get past most things. It's, it's on another level. Can a job really come unhinged like that? <laughs> can that really happen? Uh, possibly uh, well <laughs> what do you what do you there, want me to say there's here? stuff in this you'll question and you'll be like ah, i don't want that but oh, good but the base story is it's awesome but they it's got some it's got some belly turning stuff in yeah it. i did finally get around to and this just goes to show how wild my schedule has been recently but I did get around to starting the first or the second episode of lovecraft country the second <laughs> the second one. i haven't started the first so you're doing better than me I was I literally got five minutes in last night, and then Lucy got home with Eden, and I was like, okay, well. I'm just bummed that everybody thought so highly of it, and they didn't even renew it. I know. I, I don't know. That was uh, Michael K. Williams, one of his last shows that he was in. The guy who was in Boardwalk Empire, yeah. he passed away. Was that this week? I think it was I just guess the, yeah. this past week when yeah. the episode comes out. But, yeah, it was sad, man. Uh, speaking of 90s, by the way. Um, in reference to when you said something about the 90s in that show. Um, whoa, it's been a rough week for anybody who grew up watching Blue's Clues. <laughs> boy, oh boy. Get ready for it's By the time this hits, you're probably going to see tons of Blue's Clues memes. If nobody, if you have not watched that video yet of <sighs> Steve talking to everybody that, that just came out, I like, I watched it again today. And I still lost it. I was like, oh my gosh, he gets it. He gets it. <laughs> and even as somebody that's, a, I'm a little bit older than you, somebody that was a little older when Blue's Clues came out, it was still one of those shows when you were home from school. Even though it yeah. was made for younger kids, yeah. you still put it on because you're like, Blue's Clues is kind of cool. I, I like mean, this. it's fun. It's like, fun it, it's, it's an easy thing to watch. And I mean, I wouldn't put it on now i don't think maybe no. I don't maybe know. maybe let's go I'll, watch blues goose yeah, let's go drink bourbon and watch blues <laughs> we're just yelling at steve what bourbon pairs best with a blues clues <laughs> find out next week the clues right there steve <laughs> steve you have definitely Use been drinking your eyes, steve turn around 
He's definitely... I'm just so angry right now. This is who I've become. I cannot believe this salt and pepper shaker are actually dealing with you How right now. How are they talking to you, Steve? <laughs> anyway, it's a, it's a very, very sweet video. And it does kind of give you a little morale boost amidst everything else that's going on in the world, I would say. But also makes you take a good hard look at yourself. <laughs> you go, what are you doing with your life? <sighs> Sorry. Oh, <laughs> I was trying to find something. Uh oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's another copyright strike. We're gonna get kicked off of YouTube. So, okay. So there's this. There's another Instagram page I follow called the the Hard Times News, and it's basically like a parody oh, news yeah, site. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, like yeah. what you sent to me. <laughs> and. <laughs> The wizard with the gun. Yes. <laughs> was, I'm leaving this in, by the way. That was one of the. That was from Clickhole, and was, the headline was, "Is this even allowed?" Wizard with a gun in Connecticut Park or something. Possibly illegal. <laughs> is this even allowed? Is the best way to introduce that concept. But this this article, it's the article is it's titled. <sighs> Woman feeling left out spends afternoon catching up on 25 years worth of blues clues. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the short descri description is, right now this video means nothing to me, so I'm going to have to do what I do anytime a friend of mine has a kid and force a connection if I want to be included at all. <laughs> know people like oh, that yeah. like what is this and then all of a sudden they're like all right i gotta figure out what's it's going the on only thing that they know afterwards <laughs> there was another there's another video from click hole that i watched before you came here it was a guy who got a new cell phone because he switched carriers and he got osama bin laden's old phone number <laughs> god <laughs> And so he's constantly getting calls, ask people asking if it's Osama bin Laden, and he's got to like break the news to him and everything. And he's talking about like people crying on the phone. He's like, "Yeah, I had to break to some people, and you know, one guy even started crying, but you, I didn't know what to do. You can't just hang up on a man crying." <laughs> I love those sites, those fake oh, news sites my like goodness. that. They they bring a lot of joy and they light do. to my they do my, my day. Anyway. I think that about does it for this week. We're, we're you're tired. I'm feeling good, and I'm catching my second win. Right oh, great! Now. Well, we'll we'll record something else then. <laughs> we gotta get content. Content. It's all about the content. You can't hear my snaps. It's all about the. I don't think you still could. Doesn't matter. Anyway, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode. Um, I I really really did enjoy this interview, and I hope that everybody enjoyed it as well. I'm looking forward to what comes next with Joe and the folks over at Barrel, and uh, stay tuned for that. Let us know if you like the episode. Send us a Barrel ring or something. Eight five nine four two eight eight two five three. Eric, where can people find you on social media? You can find me at Whiskey Mutant on Instagram, pairing anime, comic books, anything. And me and Perry do prepare your pour about once a month where we pair bourbon with a comic book, anime, or a movie. So, at Whiskey Mutant. Maybe a show soon, too. I don't know. We're thinking about it. Maybe on YouTube. Yes. Absolutely. If you want to follow me, I'm at pritter1492 on all social media channels. The show is at my bourbon pod. 
everywhere that you can find us. But don't find us in person, please. No, please. My, my baby will scream at you. Unless you have free bottles. <laughs> Unless you can give us free whiskey. That's a really good point. Um, you can also leave us a five-star rating and review on your podcast app of choice. This week's review comes from Connor from Who Gives a Dram. Oh. another podcast. Five stars, one of my favorites. Says, 10-Bit provides insightful whiskey banter along with hilarious back and forths with Perry and Eric. <sighs> I made it. It's your first bit of <laughs> praise. That doesn't come from me. I I didn't get a negative review. (laughs) Uh, Appreciate the content, guys. This is a podcast I look forward to listening to every week. Connor, thank you so much, man. Thanks, Connor. Also, everybody go check out Who Gives a Dram. Who Gives a Dram. Who, indeed. I love love names like that who make you, you can say it, but you're not really cussing, but you know what. You know what they mean. Who gives a dram about all this? Oh, my goodness gracious. Uh, Also... You find all of our apparel and merchandise at bourbonshop.threadless.com. You can become a subscriber for our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Podcast. I go live there every Thursday night. Got a new video coming soon, I hope. If I have the time to do it, I'd really like to put a new video out soon. Time. Time is a cruel, cruel... <laughs> In a bottle. Second week in a row we've referenced that. That's wild. Um... <laughs> You can leave us a voicemail for our Barrel Ring segment, 859-428-8253. Let us know if you've got a particular uh, barrel craft spirits product that you like sticks out to you. We'll listen to it on the show. Oh, what else? You can send questions or comments to this is my bourbon shop at gmail.com. And then last but not least, patreon.com slash my bourbon podcast for as little as a dollar a month for as little as five dollars a month you can get a bunch of bonus content including the pregame chats early access to videos for the youtube channel and bonus episodes that come out once a month starting back up again this month feature swan and you actually get to hear in real time when i found out that we crossed a thousand subs on youtube yay Yay. hit the button (laughs) potions that's actually what the sound is, though. It's not an actual explosion. It's just you going, explosion. <laughs> anyway, that does it for this week. Next week, we are going to be bouncing off of this topic on sourcing and blending. We're going to be having a little conversation on what would be the worst distilleries to source from. The worst. Not the best. The worst. The worst. So I'm looking forward to that. We're also going to review Barrel Batch 30 next week as well. That does it for this week. Thank you all so much for listening. As always, we will see you real soon. But until then, I'm Perry. I'm Eric. And this is My Bourbon Podcast. Podcast.